want to invite Yosef up at this time, our new associate pastor of Next Gen Ministries, and he'll be bringing the word to us today. He has not been well. He's been in and out of the hospital with IV antibiotics and stuff, but his heart was really to bring us the word, so thank you. Good morning, church. As you know, my name is Yosef. Uh, I just want to say thank you to John Johnston for the word of God that he shared with us last week. I was not here, but I had a chance to listen to him online. Let's pray before we start. Thank you, God, for bringing us here together safely this morning. Father, we pray that you will bless us again today with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I would like to share with you one of the stories in the Bible. Jesus feeds 5,000. If you have your Bible, you can open up uh, to the book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 30 to 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But they answered him, sorry, sorry about that. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. I'm sorry, is, there, uh, is, is it okay if the light is on my eyes? <laughs> I can't see my... <laughs> Sorry about that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii's worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. I would like to cover a couple of things in this passage. 
First, God's mission and Christ's invitation. Second, understanding God's mission. And third, church missions, which is God's task for the disciples. Before I start to talk about these three things, I want to clarify what I mean when I refer to God's mission and church missions. Timothy Tennant, in his book, Invitation to World Missions, talks about the term mission and missions. In his book, God's mission refers to God's redemptive historical initiative on behalf of his creation. In contrast, missions refers to all the specific and varied ways in which the church crosses cultural boundaries to reflect the life of the Trojan God in the world and through that identity participate in his mission, celebrating through word and deed the inbreaking of the new creation. Timothy Tennant emphasizes that missions is made possible only at God's invitation. So church missions plainly speaks about the mission which is far more about God and who he is than about us and what we do. That is what I'm referring to as I talk about God's mission and church missions, God's redemptive historical initiative on behalf of his creation versus the specific and varied ways in which the church crosses cultural boundaries to reflect the life of the Trojan God and to participate in his mission. First, Let's look at God's mission and Christ's invitation. The Gospel of Mark begins this way, the beginning. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Like Genesis and the Gospel of John, the first word of Mark is simply beginning. Mark doubtlessly chose it as a reminder of God's activity in history. In the beginning, God created the world and shared his kingdom with humanity. So through the age of the gospel was manifest when the Son of God became a human being in Jesus Christ. The gospel of Mark emphasizes that Jesus is the Christ who announced the kingdom of God, healed the sick, died as a ransom for sinners, and was raised from death. Then he invited his followers to live in his kingdom and to live in a way that proclaims God's kingdom, his compassion over people, like caring, healing, and being ready to give their life for the sake of their faith in Christ. However, however, it seems that the rest of the Mark's gospel would affirm that this was and is not an easy task for the apostles, or for us today. But there is hope in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chose to write his book as a reminder of God's activity, God's mission in history, and how God invited the whole world to understand that. As we read this passage, it seems that the disciples failed to remember God's activity, his mission in history, even though Jesus' name and his power had already been known to the 12 apostles and his other disciples. Remember, the apostles were being equipped by Jesus. 
Mark in chapter 6, verse 7 says that Jesus called the 12 disciples and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirit, spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money, and not, uh, no, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put onto two tunics. It's almost impossible to believe, take nothing for our journey. And we may wonder why Jesus commands such a thing. I think his main point is to help the apostles to experience God. In preparing this message, I remember how millions of Christians can be led astray by false missions on earth, including you and I, and not realize the truth about God's mission and church missions. You know, we live in a time when society teaches us that human mission is to gain things like money, power, and fame, and that having things is necessary for life. And this can be seen throughout history. For instance, 500 years ago, Pope Alexander asserted the right to colonize, convert, and enslave the native land and its people in order to gain something so that they could have a better life even at the cost of the lives of the First Nations people. Believe it or not, we also are part of this history as we live in this land which we call our home, Canada. In fact, many people, many people like students, immigrants like you and refugees like me, came or coming to this native land to have a better life. But it seems Christ is in the business of changing people's lives, people's heart towards his mission, and not necessarily offering us a better life on earth. For example, instead of continuing to pursue a better life, people like Kosti Hin, nephew of Benny Hin, an apparent heir of the prosperity gospel, preacher are good examples and give us hope that we also have a chance to understand the truth about God's mission and our missions. Kostihin had a front row seat to the inner working of the famous televisionist and the popular prosperity uh, theology he preached. But Kosti began to question his, teaching, his teachings and, and as his faith deepened, so did the question, the questions. Kosti realized the truth. He had to face the hypocrisy and devastation of his belief system as well as the truth about the real Jesus Christ. You know, we may sit in judgment and condemnation of Benny Hinn and his kind, but let us examine our own hearts and be careful lest we may also fall into other fake forms of understanding God's mission and our missions. So it is good to ask ourselves what, how, and why we preach about the kingdom of God, God's mission in the world as a testimony to all nations. At the same time, 
We need to look at walls that are between God and us that prevent us from seeing missions which follows God's mission. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5 says, People, basically you and I, will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, without self-control, not loving goods, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Mark, Mark's record of Jesus feeding the 5,000 helps us to recognize that we must constantly seek God and his spirit in order to remain in the truth of God's mission. Like Mark, I believe the reminder of God and his activity in history helps us to understand God's mission. It is understanding God's activity in history which probably would have helped the apostles to understand God's mission and their missions when Christ confronted them with the 5,000 hungry people in the wilderness. In Mark chapter 6, when the apostles got authority from Christ, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many were sick and healed them. But the question is, the question is what happened when they faced five, the five thousands? It seems that the miraculous kingly authority of Christ was forgotten and they turned their eyes on the world and on themselves. Why that happened? And what lessons are within it for the disciples and for us? I think what God is teaching us here in this passage is to understand the mission of God and the mission of the church and to acknowledge that the church missions and, and, and to acknowledge that the church exists only for God's mission and not for church missions. What I mean is that without God's mission, church missions is just a human mission, which is about being success, successful on earth. Let's look at this passage again. Do you think that the apostles realized God's mission? I think no. They didn't. Remember, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. You know, they received authority to cast out unclean spirits and heal people. And they did. And after came to report to Jesus. But when Jesus saw them, it looks like he wasn't interested in their news. Since Jesus did not want them to share the report like a monthly report of what they are doing. He didn't bother with the business of the world. Instead, he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place, a wilderness, and rest a while. Jesus is inviting them to a desolate place, a wilderness. Why does he invite them to a wilderness? It seems that he invited them to a wilderness so that they could acknowledge God's mission. So first we looked at God's mission and Christ's invitation. Now let us look at understanding God's mission. Imagine, imagine you, you came to your boss to share your work report. Instead, your boss asks you to go to a wilderness. Well, I think Jesus knew where we, 
human beings are heading with our report and expectations. I think Jesus didn't want his followers to learn how to fill their schedules. He's looking to help his disciples to recognize God's mission and how they are called to be a part of it. Mark shares that after the apostles went away in, in the boat to a desolate place by themselves, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When they arrived at a solitary place, it is anything but solitary. Many people were there. If there are about 5,000 men there with, with their families, then probably a total of 10,000 or 15,000 people or more that they were in the wilderness. What exactly does Jesus want from his disciples in the wilderness? This is from me, and maybe some agree and some disagree. We all agree with the scripture that Christ was fully man and fully God. So I assume Jesus very well may have already known that there will be 5,000 men waiting for him in the wilderness and also that they will be hungry. Perhaps he brought his disciples to the wilderness in order to confront them with the 5,000 hungry men so that he could help them to acknowledge God's mission and church missions. You know, I believe the apostles were wandering in the wilderness like the crowd, as we read in verse, chapter, verse 34, that Jesus went ashore and saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd or people without a king. And he began to teach them many things. What were the apostles thinking when Christ had compassion on people and was teaching them. Verse 35 says, Disciples were thinking that this is a desolate place and the hour is late and these people should go away and find for themselves something to eat. That was they were thinking. And they said to Jesus, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? What happened to the apostles' faith? You know, these really were apostles because they had been sent by Jesus like many of us. Why do the apostles fail when Jesus tells them to give the crowd something to eat? Jesus already knows that it will cost about 200 denarii and not everyone is willing to pay for it. I'm not sure how much money the apostles had with them, but they questioned Jesus. Should we spend half a year's wages? That is a lot of money for one meal. Can we question where their authority is? Or did they know the purpose of their missions, their authority which was given to them by God and which they had just experienced? when they had gone out proclaiming that people should repent. It looks like there was something wrong with the apostles' understanding of missions or calling in, in this passage, and that their focus was on their own power, time, understanding, and even money. 
But what Jesus wants them to, or us to believe in is his mission, not ours. In fact, we cannot do anything without Jesus. Today, God is still sending people, some across the world, some across town, and many across the street to proclaim his name. It may seem like Jesus didn't give many of us the authority, position, or status like the apostles had so that they or us could use our authority and position in forms of a job description. We may, be, we may simply be a mechanic, driver, pastor, nurse, doctor, uh, and etc. But we are all able to be used by God for his mission when we rest in his authority and kingship in our lives and in the world. So what is God's mission? God's mission is to reveal himself and invite people to worship God and nothing else. And he invites his church to participate in this mission. That is what we see in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Just before Jesus calls his followers for the Great Commission, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Someone says we can only know God to the extent that, that he chooses to reveal himself to us. Then who we know Christ to be will impact how we, the church, minister and lead others to understand the kingdom of God, God's mission and the church missions, which is to worship God and nothing else. So we looked at God's mission and Christ's invitation and at understanding God's mission. And finally, this passage helps us to understand church missions, which is God's task for his disciples. Verse 38 to 44 states that Jesus asked the apostles, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass so that they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and off the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. You know, it seems all the apostles see is five bread and two fish. What's the problem that the apostles are dealing with? I think they didn't understand the purpose and power of all members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. History shows that Christians sometimes did not acknowledge the purpose and power of the Holy Spirit in spreading the gospel globally. For instance, I'm sorry, I lost my paper. For instance, 
in terms of the presence and, and power of the Holy Spirit and its effect on the global church, Stiller in his book, From Jerusalem to Timbuktu, says that over its 1900-year history, the church had not been particularly good at grasping the per person, nature, and gifts of the per third person of the Trinity. He goes on and says, for many, the spirit was mysterious, a mere shadow in or even the forgotten members of the Trinity. It seems many have difficulty understanding scripture in order to put it into practice. For example, Martin Luther and John Calvin learned from the historical mistake of Christianity and paid attention to the necessity of the spirit as an eliminator of the biblical text. However, they also limited the spirit in other ways, such as preaching the gifts of tongues or emphasizing living spirit-filled life. Scripture also shows that neglecting the Holy Spirit is also seen during missionary journeys of Christ's disciples. For instance, Paul in his third missionary journey found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Paul tried to mention that when a person is born again, the Holy Spirit will enter that person's life. The Holy Spirit's mission is to teach believers to e evaluate their theology and understand and appreciate the person and gifts of the Holy Spirit and all the members of the Trinity. You know, when we enter our own wilderness and attempt to rely on our own power, looking around at the mission field God has placed us in, we easily miss the chance to see God work and to be included in it in order to feed the 5,000 and spread Christianity. So such missions is God's task for his disciples and not the disciples' task for God. Church missions happen when we acknowledge all members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is no way around. There is no way around it because the scripture, like Romans chapter 8, chapter 8 verse 9 says, indicates that those who do not have the Holy Spirit do not belong to Jesus. So the key to spreading the gospel globally is to believe and have the Holy Spirit and let the Spirit do the work through the church locally and globally. Church missions does not belong to a specific church down the street. It belongs to God. So if you also one day were challenged and taught about your power, your position, positions, and what benefit missions has for you and your church and your family, remind yourself of God's mission and its purpose. God's mission is God's redemptive historical initiative on behalf of his creation. And church missions is the specific and varied ways in which the church crosses cultural boundaries to reflect the life of the Trion God 
through the power of the Holy Spirit and to participate in God's mission. A few things to remember as we end. In order to save us, Jesus became flesh, died for our sin, and rose again, which, which emphasizes the power and love of the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and its impact on people's lives, cultures, and societies. His aim is to, is to re-engage you and I with, with God's mission and church missions locally and globally. Mark also helps us to understand that when we are in control or having the illusion of being in control, it is not possible to share in God's mission or to see the impossible accomplished like the feeding of 5,000 people. So reshaping the, the vision of Jesus' mission and understanding God's mission and church missions must be the center, must be the center and source of Christian ideas and leadership. It is then when we understand that God's lost sheep are more precious than who we are or what position we have. God doesn't need to hire someone with a prestigious position and salary. He wants us to acknowledge his kingdom and kingship and care for the sheep as Christ cares for them and for us. And all of these things are going to happen when we know whom we worship. Otherwise, otherwise church missions apart, apart from God's mission is an impossible task. And like the Son, Jesus Christ, whose spirit had compassion on others, we also must be motivated to share God's compassion over others, in, uh, over others without any fear or trembling. As the Son participated in the Father's mission and glorified Him even to the extent of being, even to the extent of being killed for the sake of God's mission, our movement must have its source in the Trojan God Himself. Therefore, like Christ, we must rely on the Trojan God and the miracle of salvation and not ourselves. This passage. This passage also helps us to understand that we cannot do this alone. When Jesus tells his disciples, you give them something to eat, in verse 37, the you there uh, is plural. We cannot do this alone. The church is a family and is Christ one body. So may we also act like a community that loves, serves, and empowers others through the love of Jesus Christ, because Jesus is able to use what he granted us, even, even if it is just five bread and two fish among all of us. William Barclay, a Scottish theologian, says, it may well be that the world is denied miracle after miracle and, and, and triumph after triumph because we will not bring to Christ what we have and what we are. If just as we are, 
we would lay ourselves on the altar of service of Jesus Christ, there is no saying what Christ should do with us, could do with us and through us. We may be sorry and embarrassed that we have not more to bring, and rightly so. But that is not reason for failing or refusing to bring what we have and what we are. Little is always much in the hands of Christ. I would like to share one of our international students' words today in order to help you better understand their needs. You know, their needs are not that different from our needs. While I was talking to her, she said she feels lonely here. So she hopes to find a community that can help her in her loneliness. Another student said that he missed his family and he wished he could find some people who are like family to him here in Canada. Another said, even though my family is supporting me, I still experience financial pressure and I wish I could have helped him in understanding how to find a job and reduce some of the pressure on my family. And many of the international students, like us, are looking for friendship and connection. So you know, these are the needs. And we can look to heaven with the little that God has given us and ask him to use it to share Christ's love in a tangible way. Maybe as we are living in Canada, we are not called physically to die on the cross as Christ died. But we are called to share what we have received with the whole world, which is not money, not our power, is Jesus Christ. This passage reminds us he is the provider and not us. And he wants us to meet others' need through us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit and your love. And we trust that your spirit transforms us. Please help us to acknowledge all members of the Trinity and worship you in truth and spirit. Father, you alone created us. We are not a creator, but creature. You are holy and worthy to be worshipped. Please remind us not to worship ourselves or whatever is in the world, like money, sex, and power. Please help us to live out our faith and, and let you to work in and through us in your mission. Amen. I want to bring you the benediction. As we close our service, remembering that he is indeed king of heaven, that he is strong to save. Just a reminder that if you need prayer after the service, we always have a prayer team here that is available to you if you want to pray. You can also grab one of the staff. Hopefully you can grab one of the brothers or sisters sitting next to you too if you just need prayer. The benediction comes from Ephesians 2. 
verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceeding, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen.